Richard and Sabina Wormbrandt lived in Romania during World War II. And I'm going to quote from his book. Throughout the Nazi, Nazi occupation, the Wimbrandts had worked fear, or tirelessly to help the fascist minority victims. But now a new minority had been created, and the hunter became the hunted. German troops were abandoned after the Nazi retreat, and they were left to fend for themselves against the Russian troops, who chased them through the streets. The Germans were starving and terrified, and many died. The men whose ranks had killed millions, devastated countries, and murdered the Wurmbrandt's family and friends were now just like them, victims of war. Richards and Sabina couldn't refuse to help them. God is always on the side of the persecuted, Richards answered those who derided him for risking his own safety for the sake of murderers. God had given the Wurmbrandt's the ability to return good for evil. The constant stream of former German soldiers passed through their home. Once a tiny outhouse in their yard hid three officers. Trudging through the knee-deep snow, Richard and Sabina brought them food, emptied their buckets at night. They hated the evil they had committed, but now welcomed the soldiers, trying to make them feel less like caged animals. During World War II. In the present day, there's a lady in our community who came to faith in Christ. Her life began to change. She experienced much persecution because of her faith in Christ. Her family many times rejected her, making fun of her just because. She was trying to walk with God. She would not indulge in some of the patterns of life that she had in the past. And over and over again, she returned blessing for evil. Why would Richard and Sabina and the individual that I just mentioned bless those who directed evil and insult toward them repeatedly? 1 Peter chapter 3 reading together verses 8 through 12. I spoke about a lady in our own community. That's the present day. I spoke about World War II. That's some, what, 60, 70 years ago. We're reading about Peter, and that goes back some 2,000 years. God is at work. He's not limited to working at points in time, as we will find in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attending to their prayer. 
but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The general context of this passage is that believers are living out their identity in the midst of persecution and rejection. That is evil and insulting words as aliens and strangers in the world in Peter's day. They were fearing God. Thus they were pursuing God. In chapter 1 and verse 17, Peter talked about living with a reverent fear. In chapter 2 and verse 17, he said, fear God. And in chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, he talks about fearing God. The more specific context is found in verses 8 and 9. In verses, verse 8, he said, Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. And then in verse 9, as we discussed last week, he says, Do not repay evil with evil. but rather with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. The immediate context is refusing to pay evil with evil, or insult with insult, but instead blessing. And in the immediate context, that results in receptive hearers among all believers due to the lifestyle of believers, because in chapter 3 and verse 15, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Why? So that you know how to answer those that ask. Why are you living the way you do? Can you tell me? Why did the lady I mentioned earlier live the way she did? Why did Wormbrands live the way they did? Raising questions. Because of how they live. In verse 9, or verse 8 rather, he says, finally, all of you. He had talked to citizens. He talked to slaves. He talked to wives. He talked to husbands. Now he's speaking to the body at large. Finally, all of you live in harmony and so on. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult with blessing. That's the reason. What's the reason for repaying evil and insult with blessing? Because of the result in verse 10. Whoever would love life and see good days. Do you want to love life and see good days? Repay evil and insult with blessing. The condition, he says in the latter part of verse 10, a put off. Keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil. And then there's a put on. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And the reason? For the Lord's eyes in verse 12 are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. First Peter. Chapter 3, 10 through 12 is a quote from Psalm 34. 12 through 16. And there's direct parallels between Psalm 34, David as he writes, and what the people Peter is writing to were facing. Now I want you to grasp something. First Peter, or rather the example I gave of a lady in our community who's living godly is in the present. I referred to Richard and Sabina 
That was in World War II. That's another point in time. The psalmist, or rather Peter's hearers, is further back in time. And Peter then appeals to David further back in time. God is at work in David's time. God is at work in, in Peter's time as he writes to the hearers. In World War II, in the present and the lady that I referred to, God is at work. Peter appeals to what happened with David. The quote from Psalm 34 is during the time period when David pretended to be insane before Achish when his life was in danger. The events taking place in 1 Samuel chapter 21. But in the context of 1 Samuel chapter 21, understand that as David writes in Psalm 33 that he had been anointed, or 34 rather, he had been anointed as king to replace Saul in 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13. In chapter 17, he had killed Goliath. In chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, Saul was jealous of David. And no, he's pursuing him. In chapter 19, Saul tries to kill David. In chapter 20, David flees. And he ends up before the priest. And before the priest, at Nob, he gets some sacred bread because he is hungry. And he gets Goliath's sword. Remember, David had killed Goliath. And then David left the priest and he fled to Gath. And Gath was Goliath's hometown. It was in the Philistine territory. And some writers would think that maybe he was seeking employment as a mercenary soldier. And Achish would have been ruler some 40 years in that place. And what is happening David is an alien. He's a stranger in Gath. As Peter's hearers were aliens and strangers. David was tempted to fear. As Peter's hearers were tempted to fear. David had a confident future. He was told he was going to be king. But he had an uncertain present because he's fleeing from King Saul. Peter's hearers had a confident future. An inheritance that won't perish, spoil, or fade away but they had an uncertain present because they're being persecuted. The same is true of the Rembrandts and the individual I mentioned. A confident future, but an uncertain present. The basic themes of Psalm 34 are praising God, boasting in the Lord. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be in my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. There's another theme going through Psalm 34, that of fearing the Lord. Because there's a fear of reverence of God, there's a pursuit of Him, walking with Him. And another theme is living a life of fear or reverence for God. And it is in this context of praising God, boasting in the Lord, in the context of fearing the Lord, pursuing Him, in the context of living a life of fearing the Lord, that David says, 
Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. David is acting like he's insane because he's fearful for his life. Because the soldiers at Gath are saying to Achish, this guy's going to turn against us. We don't want to take him into battle. If we're battling Israel, what's he going to do? He's going to turn against us. So what does David do? He acts like he's insane. And Achish says, we don't want this dude around. And they send him away. And it's in that context he praises God. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. It's in that context he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The psalm came about when David was an alien, a stranger, fearful, and he pens these words. Peter is writing to people that are strangers in the sense that they're citizens of heaven. And Peter says, you're aliens and strangers. They were fearful because they were struggling. There's persecution coming because of their faith in Christ. Similar circumstances. And it's in that context that Peter says back in 1 Peter 3, whoever would love life and see good days. It's interesting that the word for love here is the Greek word agape, and it ties in with unconditional giving of one's total self. Elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about loving one another and the word agape. Here he says, whoever would love life, whoever would commit themselves unconditionally to life. What's the life he's talking about? Life here is the idea of possessing vitality, vigorous, living well. Whoever would be unconditionally committed to giving oneself to vitality in life and see good days, profitable days, generous days, beneficial days, upright days. He says certain things must take place. Now he's quoting from David. David had fled Achish. He acted insane. And David penned. Whoever would love life and see good days. It looked kind of bleak for David. But yet, he wanted to love life. He wanted to see good days. Peter writes, quoting that psalm. But there's a condition The condition involves a putting off and a putting on. Peter says, must keep his tongue from evil. And this is in the context of returning blessing for evil, returning blessing for insult. 
Peter says, quoting from Psalm 34, the one that would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil. The idea of keeping is restraining, restraining one's tongue. And what's a tongue? The instrument of speech. Not looking for a response to this, but think about it. How much trouble would we save ourselves if we weren't able to speak? Think about what would happen if you weren't able to speak for two months. You'd press the out of a lot of trouble. Because our tongue gets us into difficulty. Proverbs 4, or I'm sorry, 15 and verse 4 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. In Proverbs 18 and verse 21, the writer says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In Ephesians chapter 4, we find that Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The tongue. In the context of evil being directed at you, in the context of being insulted, Peter says, as David said, keep your tongue from evil. Evil, that is worthless, corrupt, harmful, injurious words. In the context of First Peter, there's a slave who's being criticized for freely obeying and submitting to his master with joy. Peter says to that slave, keep your tongue from evil. He also says, keep your lips from deceitful speech. Again, the idea of keep is restraining. Restrain from deceitful speech. Now, when we think of deceitful, we tend to think of, you know, we tell a lie. The idea of deceit is to bait for entrapping. Bait to entrap. Now think about that in life. You go fishing. What do you do? You bait the hook because you want to entrap the fish. Some guys go hunting. And I know it's not legal. But you put a salt block out even during hunting season. Or you pour a bushel of apples at a certain spot every day even during hunting season. That's not legal during hunting, am I? Correct, you can beforehand. But what are you trying to do? You're trying to entrap the deer. You want them to come. And I'm not saying that's wrong to do with animals. But here he says, keep your lips, what you speak, involving the lips from deceitful speech. That is words that lure others to respond incorrectly. So if someone speaks evil to Peter's hearers or to us, and we respond with evil and insult, what are we doing? We're luring them to speak evil back. And you have a downward spiral of evil, 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 or insult, insult, insult. Peter says, keep your tongue, or I'm sorry, keep your lips from deceitful speech. 
In light of 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4, we find that apparently Peter's hearers were taking some flack because they would not participate in some of the evil practices after they came to faith in Christ that they did beforehand. And people were saying, what's wrong? They going crazy? They don't want to do what or with us what they used to do? Peter clearly says they think it's strange that you don't do that. And apparently they took some heat. You don't enjoy our sin anymore? Peter says, when that comes, don't respond in a way that's going to get an evil response from them. Don't entrap them. Want to love life and see good days. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from deceitful speech. And then he says he must turn from evil. The idea of turn is to deviate, <clears throat> to avoid. Avoid evil. Worthless, corrupt, harmful, that which is injurious. And in the context, it seems to involve words, but even going beyond words. So the put off, if you want to love life and see good days. Peter says, keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil. But you can't put off unless there's a put on. You can't live in a vacuum. Peter's hearers couldn't live in a vacuum. David couldn't live in a vacuum. The Rembrandts couldn't live in a vacuum. The lady I mentioned could not live in a vacuum. So there's a put off. And then Peter says, there's a put on. He says, do good. Do good. The idea of do is a command and it means to construct or to create or to cause to take place or to execute or to practice. Do good. Practice good. Create good. Construct good. What's good? Profitable, generous, beneficial. So as these insults come, as this evil come, do good. Practice, construct, figure out how to do something profitable, something generous, something beneficial in return. Do good. There's a put off. There's a put on. He must turn from evil and do good. And then he says he must seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace. The idea of seeking is looking for, being on the watch, inquiring. How can I bring about peace? Someone insulted me. Someone spoke evil to me. How can I bring peace? And the idea of peace is oneness, harmony, wholeness. There was a point in my life that someone come to visit me because of a circumstance that happened that had been misunderstood. And the guy was probably almost twice my size. He came in the front porch and 
I knew there was going to be potentially some trouble. I went to the door and I just said, Ruth Ann, you can pray. And uh, I opened the door and went out on the porch and the guy just lit into me. And I listened. And I listened. And I listened. And when he got done, I thought, I'm either going to die or not do well the rest of my life. He was angry. Very, very angry. And in light of Proverbs 15 and verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, I responded with a very soft, gentle answer. And his level of anger came down. And he responded, and I again responded in a gentle way. And by the time he left, there was a semblance of harmony. He was much more whole than when he came. Our relationship was much more whole than when he came. And not a fellow that I would see much in life. But the next time I saw him, we talked like nothing that ever happened. Peter says, seek peace. You can't bring peace, but you can pursue it. You can seek it. In relationships, you're insulted. Peter's hearers were insulted. They were spoken evil to. And Peter says, seek peace. Harmony, oneness, wholeness. And then he says, pursue it. Put into rapid motion Endeavor earnestly when you're insulted, when you're spoken evil towards. Endeavor earnestly to have peace. Think about a husband in Peter's day. He's living in a culture where he is to be head honcho, he's more or less to be dictator. He is up here, and a wife is on a lower level, and servants are even on a lower level. And he begins, because of his faith in Christ, begins to treat his wife as a fellow heir of life. First Peter 3 and verse 7. Treats her with respect. And his friends and cohorts say, you're crazy, you're stupid in how you treat your wife. He says, yes. And he comes back with a gentle answer that brings peace. Why put off your tongue from evil, lips from deceitful speech? Why turn from evil? Why do good? Why seek peace and pursue it? Because in verse 12, Peter says, quoting from Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Here are the people in Peter's day going through difficulty, taking insult, taking evil from others. And Peter says, remember, the eyes of the Lord are on you. 
He knows what's going on. And the idea of eyes is to observe, to notice. The eyes of the Lord are what? On the righteous. The Lord is watching. The Lord is attending or observing you. And not only that, his ears are attentive to their cry, to their prayer. So husband says, Lord, how much more can I take? Can I take? I've been taking a lot of heat just because I'm seeking to treat my wife with respect and as a co-heir of the wonderful gift of life. He cries out to God. A slave says, Lord, I don't know how much more I can take. I've been trying to joyfully obey my master, but it's so hard some days. And Peter says, quoting from Peter, or quoting from David, God's ears are attentive to your prayer. But he goes on. Is not only is the Lord, the Lord's eyes open, on the righteous, and he's ears attentive to the prayer. But the contrast, he says, those who do evil, the face of the Lord is against them. There's a contrast. The face of the Lord is against them. They practice evil, that which is worthless, that which is corrupt. But the Lord clearly knows what is happening. And he's against them. The Lord responds. So whether it be Peter's hearers, remember, if you want good days, And you love life. Put off your tongue from evil, your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil. Put on, do good, seek peace and pursue it. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are on you. He's attentive to your prayer and is against the wicked. That's in Peter's day. Peter appeals back to David's day. God was at work in David's life and gave him a psalm. And David lived well. But it goes beyond David's day or Peter's day to the day of Richard Wormbrand in World War II and his wife, Sabina. God was at work living out Psalm 34, 1 Peter 4. And it goes to today, the lady I mentioned, living out their walk with God. God is at work. And as we think about Peter's hearers, and we think about our life today. You say, how do you live like that? How do you respond like that? In Peter, Peter gives tons of resources for obedience. He talks about a relationship with God. He says to his hearers, and we'll be true of believers today, they're elect. They experience the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, the new birth, a living hope, shielded by God's power, the salvation of your souls. How do you return blessing for evil and insult? 
God has given us resources. Gave Peter's hearers resources. He talks about a future expectation and inheritance in chapter 1 in verse 4. A salvation that is coming in the future in verse 5. Peter talks also about identity in Christ. That Peter's hearers and believers today are redeemed, purified, living stones being built into a spiritual house, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, called out of darkness into wonderful light, aliens and strangers in the world. Let's live by a different code. Christ is our shepherd, the overseer of our souls. So when Peter says, you want to love life and see good days, then put off keeping your tongue from evil. Your lips from deceitful speech, turn from evil. Put on, do good. Seeking peace and pursuing it. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attending to their prayer. But the faces of the Lord is opposed to those who do evil. So a simple question. Have you come to faith in Christ, having the resources that I mentioned? If you come to faith in Christ... Are we living in light of what God has provided for us? Sabina was 31 years old when Hitler committed suicide in his bunker after losing the battle for Berlin. Their son was only six. The beatings Richard and Sabina had endured under the Nazis were severe, but they paled in comparison with the cruelties the communists would inflict. The communists introduced the greatest carnage the world has ever witnessed, had ever witnessed, claiming nearly 100 million lives. Moreover, compared with Hitler, who tolerated state-sponsored Christianity and even claimed to be religious himself, there was no place for religion in the communist-controlled Romania. Joseph Stalin's Marxist convictions interpreted Christianity as a threat to the government a threat to be eradicated as such. Christians were targeted, tortured, and executed to an extent they had never seen under Nazis. What happened? Richard and his wife returned evil. No. For evil? No. Blessing for evil and insult. They kept their tongue from evil, deceitful speech, and from doing evil. They did good. They sought peace and they pursued it. And that opened doors for them to talk about Christ to their captors, to those who tormented them because they lived out what David penned, what Peter penned. The individual I mentioned earlier, the lady that experienced much rejection, chose to love life and wanted to see good days. So she kept her tongue from evil, her lips from deceitful speech, and turned from evil and put on good, seeking peace and pursuing it because she knew 
the Lord's eyes were on her and the ears were attentive to her cry, to her prayer. And that opened doors to this day for her to speak of Christ to others in ways that she would not have had. The power of a life lived in sensitivity to God, whether today or in World War II or in Peter's day or in David's day has not changed. God was at work in David's day, was at work in Peter's day, was at work in World War II and is at work today in the greater Wyoming Valley and in local churches, including Roaring Brook. And that always tied in with Christ. Let's sing together as Travis comes to lead us.